Few would disagree that civics education in American schools could use an overhaul. And many see a lack of rigorous and engaging instructional materials as a key obstacle to reform. With few states and districts requiring substantial coursework in civics, curriculum providers have had little incentive to focus on that domain. So what would it take to change that situation? And could a new civics-focused video game become part of the solution? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guests today are Danielle Allen and Larry Berger. Danielle is the James Bryant Conant University Professor at Harvard University and Director of Harvard's Edmund J. Safra Center for Ethics. Larry's the CEO of Amplify, an education company that's been a leader in the development of new curriculum assessment and intervention programs in English, math, and science. Together, they've collaborated to produce Portrait of a Tyrant, a video game designed to teach students about the Declaration of Independence, its historical context, and its contemporary relevance. Danielle, Larry, welcome to the Ednext podcast. Thanks a lot, Marty. Glad to be here. So many listeners will know you, Danielle, as the author of Our Declaration, an award-winning reinterpretation of our nation's founding document. They may not know as much about your efforts to improve civics education in American schools. So what is the Democratic Knowledge Project and how did it grow out of your earlier work? Thanks, Marty. So the Democratic Knowledge Project really started out as my own research lab. I was interested in the question of how democratic citizens can know enough to govern themselves well and maintain a healthy, thriving constitutional democracy over time. There were a number of different kinds of work encompassed in the lab, a set of work on the American founding and the traditions of our political institutions, a set of work around the impact of new media and digital tools and technologies on youth civic experience, and a set of work around assessment. How do you do assessment in the humanities liberal arts in ways that are true to the pedagogic and instructional goals of those domains? That assessment work really started focusing on civics because the majority of practitioners in those disciplines um, describe themselves as having civic purposes to their instruction. So if you can do assessment in the humanities and humanistic social sciences, it turns out you can do civic assessment. Over time, as we did the research, we started generating things for teachers. People would write and ask us, could we produce a lesson or a resource or a module or something like that? Um, so we just started, started experimenting we found ourselves enjoying collaborations with educators and found that they taught us things that we would never have figured out ourselves. And so we got sort of better and better at producing resources. And then when Massachusetts had this um, amazing sort of new policy framework with a sort of requirement for year-long grade eight civics curriculum, as well as requirement for um, the sort of active civic action project for students, we thought, hey, you know, we've been building curricular resources, we've been doing professional development in a de facto way for teachers, and we've been doing civics assessment. So Let's pull this all together and take ourselves seriously as a civic education provider and see what we can contribute. So that's what we did. And Larry, your company, Amplify, has been best known for its curriculum and assessment projects in reading, math, and science. What led you and your team to make this pivot into the world of civics? So we got there grudgingly, which is to say that we really wanted to work on civics. Uh, especially because a lot of this was happening against the backdrop of 2016 uh, kind of crisis of democracy uh, dynamics. And we, we loved the idea of it. And yet the word in education business circles is that civics is too small a market and too political a market to, to be worth going after. That if you made something that they liked in Texas, they wouldn't like it in Massachusetts. 
And in neither place would they invest in it the way they invest in reading, math, and science. And I, we had therefore been interested, but kind of avoided that territory until the idea of something that, frankly, Danielle Allen was doing. Uh, and we felt like that could get the kind of national attention that civics deserves. And Danielle was thinking about it in such original ways. And then when we learned that the particular thing she wanted to talk with us about was uh, a video game, we were like, okay, we gotta, we gotta take this meeting and see where this leads. So I was curious whether the idea for the video game came from Amplify or from uh, Harvard. It sounds like the origins of the idea is on the Harvard side. So Danielle, tell us how that came about. Sure. Now, it was on the Harvard side. You mentioned my book, Our Declaration, um, and which focuses the reading sort of, of the Declaration of Independence, but one that has the aspiration to motivate civic engagement on the part of readers. When I first set out to write that book, I actually wanted to write a book for uh, middle school aged um, people. And obviously, I didn't. I mean, it's a general audience adult book, but so it stayed with me, the fact that my sort of first audience that I really wanted to communicate with about the principles of the Declaration and the rewarding uh, nature of political participation was middle school aged people. So at the end of the day, I sort of just kept you know, staying with that problem and thought I need a new vehicle of communication. And so I had to admit, I didn't know a lot about video games when I sort of put the question on the table of could we do a video game about the Declaration? I did know that the Declaration is built around stories, the grievances, the complaints about the king at the heart of the, of the, of the Declaration are all things people live through. And so I thought, well, let's gamify the stories that led people to use a vocabulary of rights to talk about resisting the king and to talk about how to build a new society. So that was the kind of core concept. And you know, luckily I got connected with game designers who were willing to give it a crack, so. And can you give an example of what that looks like? How you gamify some of the narratives that are embedded in the declaration itself? Sure. So it's a character-based adventure game, and the main character is a young uh, free woman of color named Brianna. She's a historically plausible character. That is, such a person could really have existed, and the sort of particulars of her biography are, are all historically plausible. And she uh, journeys over the, the, across the colonies over the course of the game, uh, making six different stops. Um, so she's in New York, she's in Rhode Island, she's in Georgia, she's in Virginia. She ends up, of course, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with the uh, people working on the Declaration of Independence. Um, she gets connected in various complicated ways to Sons of Liberty as a sort of message carrier, but has to make her own choices about which side is she on, Americans, British, where does enslavement fit into the mix of that and so forth. But the point is that as she journeys from one colony to the next, in each colony, she's actually encountering the specific events um, that are the sort of substrate beneath the complaints in the Declaration of Independence. So she's actually living through, journeying through exactly the events that generated the complaints against the king, the vision for a different kind of political system, and so forth. And so the vision for the game is coming from Harvard's side. Larry, what is Amplify bringing to the partnership? So uh, we have some experience in making good interactive experiences, and in particular, how to bridge the gap from a game that kids might like, but teachers wouldn't understand why it was relevant, or a game that teachers would like and kids wouldn't want to play. And trying to finesse how do you get it right in the sweet spot is something that we've uh, got some experience on and have worked together on. And then I would also say that although we had not worked on civics as a curriculum area, it is a bit of a chestnut of the middle school curriculum that you do 
close reading of the Declaration of Independence. And the one thing that we had felt deeply when trying to do that, and, and we had reached out to Danielle independent of all of this in that context, is there are some teachers, few and far between, who make the opening paragraph and the concluding sentences come to life. They all just kind of concede that the grievances are, you're not gonna understand this, but the colonists had a lot of stuff they were upset about. And the vocabulary is weird and the narratives are weird and no middle school kid has had the experience of impressment. Uh, so they just give up on what is most of the words in the declaration. And the notion that this could be changed by virtue of living at these in a game, which was Danielle and her original team's uh, uh, contribution. That was, we came to it once they had already showed us that that could be done. Suddenly the grievances weren't just uh, things kids might be interested in, but they each had their own kind of game dynamic. They each create a problem and an adventure and a thing you have to escape from. And, and, uh, and most importantly, a thing you have to take a stance toward. Are you going to throw that rock? Are you going to join the Sons of Liberty? Are, you know, each of those is uh, a great pretext. And suddenly the grievances go from this elided part of the declaration to the thing that kids are all wrapped up in and trying to find their way through and really feel we need to get some rights and solve this problem. And that, that makes for great motivation in a game. Now, Danielle, Larry mentioned earlier that one of the reasons companies like Amplify sometimes hesitate to get involved in civics curriculum is their concern that what works in one region of the country might not work elsewhere. What flies in Texas may not fly in Massachusetts. You noted that a lot of your work has actually been tied very specifically to new civic standards in the state of Massachusetts. But how do you think about that broader challenge that Larry referred to when it comes to this game? Uh, is it aligned to a particular vision of civics education or one that you think can appeal more universally? So for me, there are two prongs to work in, in civics. There's a piece that's about a shared conversation that we should be able to have nationally. And then there are also the pieces that are about the diverse takes a given community is going to want for their civics curriculum. So the second thing is what makes it so important to collaborate with educators. So I don't really believe in a kind of top-down designed curriculum. I think we should work on good resources, establish some of the parameters of a shared conversation, but then really engage educators in building out a curriculum that makes sense for their community. So the game I think of as a resource, and then my hope is that educators all over the country can find ways to use it in a curriculum that makes sense for their context. So then what that means is as you think about resources, that's where the sort of shared conversation piece comes in. So what are the features of this game that really help define it as something that might possibly be able to pull together people who are in Massachusetts, people who are in Texas, people who are in California, people who are in Nebraska, um, one really critical aspiration of the work is to find ways of integrating the what sort of Jill Lepore calls the gory and the glory stories of American history. So we have to be clear-eyed about the wrongs and failings in our history. We also have to be equally clear-eyed about the value and the achievements. And so very often people are picking one pole or the other. We really are trying to tell an integrated story. So Brianna really gets to wrestle with the facts of enslavement, but also the aspirations to self-government, the fact that the, you know, the British are not exactly necessarily clearly the best allies, even if in 
some cases they seem to be promising abolition. She faces really hard questions about how to put together the different things that we value, you know, in a democracy, sort of freedom for all, true opportunity, things like that. So by making those dilemmas real and making sort of the, the hard work of thinking through both the wrongs and the aspirations real for students, um, we really hope that we're showing a pathway to an integrated approach to our national storytelling. Larry, almost two decades ago, when you were really just getting your company off the ground, you wrote what has turned out to be quite an influential analysis of the marketplace for entrepreneurs in education uh, and really tried to draw out some of the challenges that entrepreneurs face in taking even a very good product or idea to scale. You talked about something called the 50, 14,000, 100,000 problem. The fact that you have 50 states, 14,000 school districts, 100,000 schools, all of whom are procuring different services at different levels. And that makes it really challenging to get an idea to, to spread widely. How do you think about that challenge in the context of this new initiative? That, that challenge still drives education buying and the kinds of products that, that get made. And uh, it, it often means that you have to figure out what kind of value you're creating at a lot of different levels. You have to convince sometimes a state textbook committee that your curriculum meets their standards. You then have to convince a committee of teachers who are actually trying it out on the ground that, that what you've, you've made is something that they would want to teach from for the next five or eight years. Uh, and then there's often district prioritization. Are we even going to buy civics this year? Or maybe we'll put it off till next year. Uh, and you have to engage with all of those levels. And it makes the process of getting to a decision, an opportunity to implement with the district, it makes it quite uh, long and demanding. I will say though that it, in light of what this project is about, there's something wonderfully meta about just how democratic and multi-leveled and who gets to decide that process is and so it is it's nice to be selling a civics experience in which the colonists trying to figure out exactly those kinds of issues uh, for themselves uh, is what's at stake and what is the status of the game right now is it something that listeners can download and play can i have my 13 year old son playing it over the weekend so the game exists. Yes, it's playable. I mean, actually, Larry has to answer the question about distribution, um, but we piloted a first version last year um, in our pilot curriculum in Massachusetts, and it's just in the final stages of redesign for a 2.0 version. It is a six-episode game, so in truth, you know, if your son is super, super hungry for it, he could get through it over a weekend. Probably it takes a little bit longer than that to play it. We space the game out um, over time in a curriculum. Um, but yes, it's there. It exists for playing, and maybe Larry can let you have access. Sure, absolutely. And I and I think the idea is for the foreseeable future that this thing that we are doing, we are making available for free. It may be that we come up with versions of it that districts could buy into that have some of the extra supports and services. But for now, the goal is to get something out there that proves a next generation of civics education is possible. And one final question for you, Danielle. A theme of the conversation has been that an organization like Amplify, to some extent, to 
play in the civic space is having to uh, run against its natural instincts or interests as a for-profit uh, curriculum provider. Uh, how do we change that dynamic more broadly? What else will it take beyond just sort of producing things uh, like Portrait of a Tyrant? What needs to change in the policy environment, in the broader context surrounding civic education so that this becomes more of a natural act rather than a supernatural one? <laughs> well, I do think it's two things. It's a combination of what the requirements are state by state. And then it's also, it is about the politics. I mean, those have been obstacles to this work and we have to address both of them. So I participate in a coalition called Civics Now, which is driving state policy change, trying to increase the amount of time required on civics and social studies uh, throughout K through 12, and also increase investment in resources and professional development for teachers and things like that. So I think that's a critical piece. Then there's the political side. We do see a very polarized conversation right now around how we tell the story um, of our national history. So it's really a question I think of, can we find big enough coalitions of people across an ideological spectrum who are committed to breaking through that difficulty? There too, I'm part of a big collaborative, a project called Educating for American Democracy that has built out a sort of cross ideological coalition where what we're trying to do is help people see some of the hard parts of civics as design challenges. So not bugs, but features. So for example, the point I made about how do we tell our history? Can we integrate the gory version that's about enslavement and genocide of indigenous people and the glory version? If we can integrate those things, well, how do we do that? that that's a design challenge. That's an experiment that we should put out there to all of America's educators, not think that one person in a top-down way is going to answer that question once and for all. But if we could all agree that that should be the goal, that we should be able to integrate those two versions of our history, um, then we can work on this together. We can break through the polarization, take those challenges again as inspiration to do good work, not as blockages. My guests today have been Danielle Allen and Larry Berger, co-creators of Portrait of a Tyrant, a new civics-based video game available for download at portraitofatyrant.com. Danielle, Larry, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.